I'm working with half a voice today. My apologies. Normally, I'm loud and obnoxious. Today, I'm just obnoxious. So my apologies for that. But if you can bear with me today, I'm excited to get into the Word this morning. If you haven't been here for the last six weeks, we're looking through a series called I Am, the series where Jesus tells us who he is. He gives us these pictures to show us who he is. And we're in the last one. This one is called I Am the True Vine in John 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can open with us this morning. This, this is called what, um, it's what they call the upper room discourse. So a lot of this from verse 13 through 17 in John happens. It's called the upper room discourse where Jesus is speaking to his disciples the night before he is going towards his crucifixion. 13 and 14 take place at that infamous table, the picture that we see, the, the Last Supper picture. And you can see that Jesus is kind of giving his boys a pep talk, like things are going to go dark, things are going to get heavy, things are going to be hard, and they don't quite get it. But Christ's words at the end of 14 are things like this, peace I leave with you, and peace I give you. And don't let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful, preparing them for what is about to come. At the end of 14, you see Jesus say, let's get up and let's go from here. Let's go for a walk. And they begin to make their way from the Last Supper in the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there we see this conversation. This is where 15 starts to take place. And for 15 to 17, chapters 15 to 17, Jesus is walking towards his betrayal. The last words he'll speak to his disciples and he's walking towards the fulfillment of his prophecy, towards his crucifixion, but towards his victory over death. Just before we read, let's open in prayer. Jesus, we come to you this morning humble, knowing that we know little. God, I pray that you would just open our minds and our hearts and our eyes to have us hear what you would have us learn this morning. God, thank you for your goodness and this text that you're going to provide for us in your perfect and holy name. Amen. John 15, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that I may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the words that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I am the true vine. The true vine. You see the imagery throughout scriptures. If you know the scriptures well, you'll see it in Psalms. You'll see some of the old prophets, Isaiah and Ezekiel and others. You even see Jesus and Matthew comparing Israel to a vine. It's a well-seen image throughout Scripture. In fact, the vine was a symbol for Israel. If you went to Israel, there's giant gates. You would see the vine right there on the gates. In fact, in Herod's temple, if you open the inner sanctum, there is a giant golden vine. I'll just read that. One historian named, named Josephus describes Herod's temple this way. 
massive plates of gold. And he writes that large golden vine hung with golden fruit above the door leading into the inner sanctum. <laughs> I'm going to cover the mic when I cough, so I'm, but I'm going to cough. <coughs> so here's just a picture, and this isn't, this isn't 100% proven, okay? I'm just going to give you what could be happening here. We have Jesus leaving the upper room. We have him going towards the Garden of Gethsemane with his crew, and he's leaving town, and we know that Passover, it's a full moon, so it's probably a bright night out. We also know that during Passover, Herod's temple would have been wide open. So as Jesus is coming from the upper room, walking towards the garden, there's a good chance that he's looking either at the gates with the vine hanging over or in the inner sanctum with the doors wide open, with the full moon out, looking at the vine, and Jesus points to it and starts to begin to teach from this imagery. That may not have happened, but it may have happened. So let's just go with it may have happened. He's pointing at this vine. And Jesus says this, Massive thing. He just says, I'm the true vine. I'm the true vine. So what that means is, is Israel isn't the true vine. It's not religion. It's not ethnicity. It's not race. It's not rites. It's not rituals. But Jesus is the true vine, which Jesus is the life source. He's the one that will give us the life that we desperately need. It can't be anything else. Nothing else that we cling to as a branch can give us the life source that Christ can give us. Look at verse 2 with me. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. This is not a wonderful text to be given to preach on. But it's wonderful because it's the words of Christ. So there's a truth in here that if it's hard, praise God. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. This has been a text that people have wrestled with for a long time. In fact, I could wrestle with it as I'm reading through it. <coughs> what does a branch that doesn't bear fruit mean? What does it mean when the father, it says the Father will take it away? And what if I'm not bearing fruit? What does that mean for me in my life? And these are all good questions. And sometimes when we wrestle through these questions, as a student pastor here, I'll teach our students that when we have clarity in God's word, we can go to where we have clarity and understand scripture through scripture. So we know things that it can't mean, even though on the surface maybe we'll get confused. So let's look at some things that we know. We know salvation does not in any way come from works. Doesn't come from how good you are. Doesn't come from what you do. Doesn't come from how hard you try. Doesn't come from how holy you are. Doesn't come from how much you give or how hard you sing. That is not salvation. We know that there is nothing we can do, no outward action, that can bring us to a place of being justified before Jesus. Justification comes from Christ and Christ alone. That's freedom for us. That's not a weight, that's a freedom. You can't earn it, it's just given. Praise God. Amen. Now there's another thing that we need to hold tightly to, and it's that you can't, when you are connected to Christ, when you're connected to Christ, when you are Jesus' child, you can't lose that salvation. That's a sweetness for us to remember that we can't just lose our salvation. And let's go through a couple texts just so we know John 10 says that no one can snatch us out of his hand. Ephesians 1, Paul says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And he says that calling can never be revoked in Romans 11. In Hebrews 13, it says God will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. Jesus himself in John 6 says all of those that the Father has given him, he will never lose one. First Timothy reminds us that when we are faithless, my God is faithful. Listen, this is so important. It is Christ alone 
who justifies us. It's Christ alone who saves us. And praise God, it's Christ alone who holds us. There's a scene in Galatians where Paul is preaching to the church of Galatia, generally a Gentile church, and they're believing Jesus Christ to be the Messiah. And the Judaizers, odd other name, is party of the circumcision. We don't have that party anymore. Praise God, that's a weird name. But they would come behind Paul, and they would be teaching things like, sure, you can accept Christ, we'll allow that. But to do that, you've got to follow Jewish tradition, Jewish law. You have to do Jewish things. You have to get a circumcision and all these other things, food and all the rituals and rites. And Paul is trying to correct this, saying, hold on a minute, you didn't follow the law when you came to Christ. So why now do you think you have to follow the law to stay in with Christ? Look at, uh, if you can't get there quick enough, Galatians 3.3 says this. He says, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive by the Spirit? Did you receive um, by the Spirit of the works or by the law or from hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? In other words, you came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ by faith in Christ and faith in Christ alone. Do you think now that it's works that it's going to hold you to that salvation? Of course not. So with that in mind, knowing that Paul is preaching the doctrine of faith through faith alone, he's preaching the words of Christ, knowing that he can't compromise what Christ teaches. Let's go back to what Christ said in, in, in verse 2. Sorry. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. It's really important to note this. Jesus is not saying that our salvation is based on works. He's also not saying that we could lose our salvation dependent on what we do in this lifetime. Here's what he's saying. There is evidence that we are in Christ when our lives show it. There's evidence that we are branches that are connected to the life source when our branches produce fruit of that vine. Does that make sense? Sometimes when I lose students and they're staring at me like, it's, like I'm dead or something, I just say, does that make sense? Makes sense. If you're a vine and you're connected to that vine, that life source, you're gonna produce the fruit of that vine, okay? That's a simple understanding. We are not saying anything else. So let's be very clear as we walk through to this. Jesus says, I am the true vine. The natural result of being connected to the living vine is that we will be a living branch producing fruit. We meet Jesus, and I don't mean when we're aware of Christ. A lot of us here are aware of Christ. A lot of us here are knowledgeable about the history of who Jesus is. But when we really meet Jesus... when he really comes into us, when we actually abide in Christ and as a result he abides in us, everything changes. And this isn't like option one or option two. When we meet Christ, everything changes. Everything changes. When a branch that is dead now becomes alive, everything changes. When you, like in Ephesians, when we're dead in our transgressions and we become alive again through Christ, listen, the old is gone and the new has come. The old is gone and the new has come. So you got to understand that everything changes, but it's not because of me. It's not because of what I've done. It's not because of a prayer. It's not because I read my Bible, but it's because of Christ. Fruit is produced, not because of how hard I work, but because of Christ in my life. We are transformed because of Christ. We are renewed because of Christ. And if that isn't happening, if that is not happening in your life, if there's no fruit, if we aren't being transformed, if we aren't being renewed from our old self to our new self, 
There's a big question there. We need to ask ourselves a question. Do we have Christ? <coughs> Excuse me. I'm trying to cover that mic. I got a text from a student not too long ago. I'm going to read this text to you. It was such a sweet thing for me to read, but let me read it to you. Uh, she came to Christ last year, and this was not too long ago. She said, I remember when I was still new to the faith, I told you, like I was, I told you, it felt like I was going to wait to be struck by lightning, waiting to see a sign from God when all I had to do was stop and see myself and see what he was doing in me, see what he's done for me. And now I'm seeing a happier me, one that hasn't been around for a long time. I'm confident now walking up to people and welcoming them in, some, something I never would have done. And I can happily tell you that lightning has struck and I can see him in me. Like everything changes. Christ comes in and things just start to change. And I don't mean like Monday morning you wake up, you're perfect. I mean things that you never would have done, that you never would have thought, that you always would have done are gone. Like, like proclivities that you just lean towards, they just start to melt away when you turn your eyes upon Jesus. And everything starts to change. In a recent conversation with the same student, we were just talking about her life and she just mentioned the peace that has come in, inside of her life. The peace that she hasn't really had before. The joy and the patience and love that she has for others that are on the outside of faith. Now she understands the blindness and there's a patience and a peace that she has for them. I can see it. Those of us in our group, we can see the change Jesus brings. We can watch this person live a life and see the change that it's brought in her life. There's this process where she starts to abide in him and he starts to abide in her. There's like this connection to a life source. Another text from her just a couple days ago at like 10.30 p.m. She's ripping through Matthew, asking like, what does blasphemy of the Holy Spirit mean? Like, how do I understand this? What, what do I understand? She's going between the gospels, shooting out questions, and we're talking about commentaries, and she's like, I'm deep into my own personal study at 10.30 at night. There is nothing that is being forced here. There is a genuine desire to know and love God, and it's the result of abiding in him, and we just wanna know more. We just wanna be more like him. It's an amazing thing to experience. An, there's an outpouring, and I, I don't have a lot of experience with fruit trees. I'm Canadian. We have some, they're not good ones. But I grew up and there's like crab apple trees. We had a pear tree, great pears on it. But I've never walked past a, a branch on a fruit tree and saw a branch just like uh, straining. Like trying so hard to produce fruit. Like every bark and fiber just pushing, trying to pop a fruit out. I've never seen that. All I have seen is a branch just resting confidently on the life source. It just sits there through the storms, the difficulties, and it just rests confidently through the life source, clinging to the root, knowing that the fruit will be produced in its time. Like that's freedom for us. We don't have to strain or push or try when we're connected to the life source, when Jesus is our source, our life spring. When he is our hope and our foundation, we just connect to that vine and the outpouring is fruit just comes out of us. In verse two, it says that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, Jesus is referring to those fruit, those people, those branches that have claimed 
to be Christ's followers that don't bear fruit. They are not connected to him. Listen, the fruit don't lead to salvation. They're a result of salvation. You, you can't have like the really, the goodness, the really good things of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that will get you towards God justifying you more or loving you more. It's a result of knowing who God is, abiding in him, and the, the, the outpour, the result is just these things that just come out of you and you're like, weird, a pineapple. I didn't expect that to come out of me. Like their kindness is just coming out of Marshall. That's not a normal thing. Patience, I have none. I have minus patience. And it's all because of my children. It was probably there before. <laughs> but listen, we have these people here, and unfortunately and scarily, there are people here who claim Christ, who claim Christ who are sitting here because maybe, maybe they just attend church. That's just what we do. We attend church. Maybe we claim a family faith. My family goes, I go, I guess I'm one of those. Maybe we're just conservative and we line up with everything the church believes. We have a good conservative view on the political world. Maybe we cherish the law. Maybe we're living as righteous and as holy as we can to show our own goodness. But those people haven't really surrendered their lives to Christ. They haven't fully repented of their sin. Christ is not abiding in them because they're not abiding in Christ. And as a result, they haven't gotten the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, they aren't producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let's stick on the cutaway branch for a moment. Verse four says, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. <coughs> There's some great clarity here about those dead branches that will be cut off. Very clearly, according to Christ's words, is they have not abided in him. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. Outside of Christ, we can't bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Here's a solemn warning. It's not one I like to give, but it's one I'm happy to give because of God's word. It's true. And I want to be careful here, but listen, if you're a Christ follower and Christ is in you and you are in Christ, that means the result of the connection, I'm going to repeat these things a lot because it needs to stick to us. The result of that connection to the true vine is that the fruit of the Spirit of God becomes part of our life. It can't not, okay? So the fruit of the Holy Spirit becomes part of your life when you are connected to the vine. It has to. We're not perfect. We have good days and bad days, days where my wife needs a lot more grace, days where I'm being sanctified, days where I need the word to call me out, to rebuke, to correct, to train, praise God for his word. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what does your life look like when people look at you, when, when people look at you in the valleys of your life. Picture the valleys of your life. What are you reflecting on the lowest moments? Do they see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Like when you're at work, what about when you're laying in a hospital bed? What about when you're on a phone to a bill collector? Awkward. 
What about when you're in a relationship with siblings that conflict with you? What about how your spouse sees you? How do your children see you when no one else is around? Are we reflecting Christ? Are we reflecting the fruit of the Holy Spirit? If they don't see fruit in us, why? That's a huge question. If you don't see fruit in your life, why? What are we missing? Verse 6 says, If anyone doesn't abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Listen. Maybe right now, for the first time in a long time, you're considering your relationship with Christ. Maybe it's been based for a long time off your own works, off what you think you've done, off how you think you can justify yourself before a holy God. Maybe you've sat in a pew for 10, 20, 30, 40, or more years, connected to the law, living by the law, never connected to the actual source of life, never connected to the vine, but you're living by the law, by your own goodness. Maybe you're actually wondering right now, where's my joy? Like, man, I, I don't have any peace. I don't have any patience. I don't have any goodness. I don't have any faithfulness. I don't have any self-control. Maybe you're wondering that. Well, let me say this. Then praise God that you're here this morning. Praise God because I know this about God. He is faithful and he never stops pursuing us. Even decades and decades of after serving ourselves, he never stops pursuing us. So praise God that this morning he's calling you possibly right now and maybe he's saying abide in me this morning. Trust me this morning. Believe in me. Repent from your wicked ways. Repent from your sinful ways. And just abide in me. Like put everything aside and just trust and follow me this morning. And his promise is that I'm gonna abide in you and then everything's gonna change. Everything's gonna change. You know, the sweet truth is not only do I get to reflect the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is something that I get. I, like in a hectic, chaotic, nonstop world where we're just being consumed by everything around us, I get a peace that passes all understanding. I get a joy and a love and a faithfulness and a gentleness that I don't even understand. What a sweet gift it is when the Spirit comes into us and gives us something that not only we don't deserve, we don't even understand. Now, for all of you fruit producers, we're going to go to the second half of this. And maybe you feel like, like lately your fruit has been a little bit bitter. Maybe you've been lacking and maybe your grape looks more like a raisin. <laughs> I don't like raisins. Maybe you are serving really well and you're seeing God move in miraculous ways. Well, either way, it's time for a pruning. And that kind of stinks. It's kind of like a weird reward. I'm, I'm serving it. You know, I'm kind of crushing it. You might think, hey, I'm doing really good in life. God is moving. I'm watching things happen. And you, you look at verse two and he just slams you into the ropes and says, well, I'm going to prune you anyway. Well, that doesn't seem fair. I had this, me and my wife, Megan, we have a black, like we, we have horrible, we cannot grow anything, black thumbs. Everything we try to grow fails. Plastic ferns die. Nothing stays alive. <laughs> Nothing. There's not a thing we can keep alive. Promise is true. Drive by our house. All the plants are dead or they're just soil gardens. We're really great at soil gardens. 
<laughs> so at Mother's Day a few years back, I'm like, I'm gonna get her a lime tree because that idea of cracking off your own lime, sitting on the back deck with a cold Pepsi or Coke, relax, and sitting and having like a lime that you grew in a cold Pepsi would be amazing. And I picked one that had like a, a kind of a lime, like all the trees, this one had kind of a lime, I felt great. Picked it, I'm like, look, Mag's a lime. So we put it on this shelf where like the window would come in and we either overwatered it or underwatered it, don't know. But that one lime maybe grew a millimeter bigger. We popped it off, cut it up. It was gross. That's fine. It was just dry. And for months and months and months, all that was left in that thing was just little tiny nubs that you couldn't eat. You couldn't do anything with. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't have no idea what to do. So we moved to the Yukon and knowing that there's zero sun in the Yukon, we just handed the tree to my brother who's like a green body. Like every, he speaks Latin to trees. They grow, they bloom. It's nuts, so I just hand it to him, like, do what you can. We'll take it back when we get home. <laughs> so a few months later, he sends me a picture, and they're like, arms are full of limes. Kids are juggling with limes. <laughs> they're throwing limes at homeless people. It's unbelievable. We have, they have just limes blossoming, falling off this tree. Like, what did you do? Did you pray over your tree? And he's like, no, we just, we pruned it. Like, you cut the branches? Like, yeah, we, we pruned it. We shaped it. We did what the tree needs so it could grow more fruit and it would be better and more full. Now, as, you said, as I said, I'm not a gardener, but I do have a beard and I'm gonna get, this sounds weird. <laughs> this sounds weird. But there's a lot of junior high boys that come to church and they have these little free-ranging wisps of hair. <laughs> like just kind of standing on their own and if my advice is sought and it's not often sought and sometimes I just give it, I'm like, just trim those freelancing bad boys. Cut those blondies and watch a full big beard grow in. This is evidence. Yeah. So I don't know much about pruning vines, but I can prune a beard. And it's not scientific, but I'm just saying, if they have the little things, trim them up. You'll grow a better beard. Now, pruning isn't something to be thought of as a consequence, but naturally we do. We think, we think like discipline is a consequence. We often think, if I'm doing really good, don't stop me. In fact, when you, I was Googling because I'm researching to write a sermon. I'm not supposed to say that, but I was Googling. and I, I Googled benefits of pruning a vine, and the first thing it says is proper pruning results in higher quality grape production and larger yields. Interestingly, a vine that is left unpruned or unkempt produces heavily for first few years, but then gradually the size and quantity of the fruit is greatly reduced and the fruit can become bitter. God, in verse one, is seen to be our vine dresser, our gardener. Wonderfully more knowledgeable than I am. God knows the process and the sweetness is he knows your heart. He knows everything about you. He knows exactly what to give and exactly what to take away. He knows exactly what branch to cut, where to trim, and how to grow you to be able to produce more fruit. And the fruit that you are going to produce is fruit of the Spirit that will give you a life and a life more abundant, which is what we want in a life under Christ. God is good and does good things, and every good and perfect gift comes from God. So all these consequences that we feel aren't good, and they're not necessarily consequences, but his discipline is good in our life because it grows us. Listen to James 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know it's the testing of your faith that produces steadfastness, and the steadfastness that has have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
Hebrews 12, 11 says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I can tell you, and I believe if you talk to those who have been in the faith for a long time, I can tell you without hesitation that some, some of my greatest trials, my darkest moments, my biggest hurts or my biggest pains have led to some of the greatest fruit I have ever produced in my life. In fact, the moments where I have been on my knees until they are bruised in the dark hours of the morning, crying out to a God in desperate hope, those are the moments where I have never been more close to his hand. I've never felt more close or more desperate or more held in my life when I am fully exposed in my weakness. When my weakness is just laid bare before God, I've never felt his power to be more perfect and more real in my life. I'm just a branch clinging for dear life. Folks, sometimes that's all we got. Sometimes we're tired and broken and hurt and all we have is just to hang on tightly, just to rest deeply into the vine, knowing that all the life source, we're just gonna draw the life from the vine. We're just gonna draw from the source of truth. As a result of those times in my life, my faith is more found, my hope more assured, and my mind more renewed, and my heart more restored. God, in his goodness, even when we don't see it, he's so grace-filled to still continue. God in his goodness knows exactly where to prune. <coughs> what to give and what to take. Listen to verse eight. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that your joy, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. How sweet is it that God's hope for us is that his joy would be in us and our joy would be complete. We have a twisted view of what joy looks like. We don't understand it. We pursue things that we think bring joy and they don't, they bring devastation. And God in his goodness will pursue us and prune us and trim us and teach us to give us a joy that's real, that produces more fruit, that give us more than we ever imagined. This word abide comes up a lot. And I wonder, how do we abide? I got a, a couple thoughts here. The picture Jesus gave for abiding was this connection. It's a mutual agreement that if we abide in him, he abides in us. Like if we make our source of truth, you guys can make your source of truth whatever you want. You can pursue anything you want, but if you make your source of truth, God's word, if you make your source of life God's word, if you abide in him, the results are he's going to abide in you. And the second one is similar, but it's even um, heavier. It's this dependency on Christ. Listen, the vine doesn't depend on any branches, but the branch depends on the vine. It's okay to depend on Christ. It's okay to say, I don't got it. I can't do this. I'm wrestling. I'm not enough. It's okay to run to the cross, run to Christ, and depend on him to be your source of life, your source of truth. Church, church, my hope is this, that you would be in the word. I think every time I preach, I end on saying this, be in the word. 
It changes everything. It changes everything. It transforms you and restores you to things that you didn't think you wanted to do. All of a sudden, you're doing because of God's goodness in your life. The things that you don't think you could give up, all of a sudden, they, they become disgusting and gross, and you don't want that in part of your life anymore because Christ is good, and he draws you to himself. Church, be in prayer. Don't just walk up to the dinner table and say, thank you, God, for the meal, amen. I tell my students often, if I just walked into my dad's house at Christmas and said, thank you, Father, for the gifts, amen, and left, I mean, there's no relationship there. Walk and talk with your creator. Listen to him. Close your mouth every once in a while. Listen to what he wants to say to you, how he wants to love you, how he wants to build you up. Church, stay connected to the community of believers. At this church or another, be active in serving the Lord in community. Be active in giving in this community. Quit sitting on the sidelines and serve. Let the fruit of the Spirit pour out over your workplace, over your family, over your church, over your friends, over your enemies. But most of all, church, just recognize who Christ says he is. As we close, I'm going to read this. The worship band can come up. Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate of the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, the life, and I am the true vine. He is the vine, the source of all life. My hope, church, as we leave, that we would recognize that Jesus Christ is the source of all of our joy, all of our hope, of all truth. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for John 15 and for the series as we're closing up, looking at who Jesus says he is. God, you are the source of truth. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, the life. I pray that we don't just leave these doors disconnected to the vine. I pray that when we leave here, we have an urgency and a need to connect to the vine in a way that we have never connected to the vine this morning, that we would just press in and abide in Jesus so we can watch him abide in us and, and see the results of this fruit in our life. And we're struggling with peace. We're struggling with hope. We're struggling with patience. We're struggling to find love, God, as we soak in the truth of who Jesus is, that we would feel that come out of us. God, the joy of the Holy Spirit that comes over us brings us a peace that we can never understand even in the world's worst moments. God, we thank you for a sweet message this morning from your word and your word alone. We are not saved by what we do. We are saved because of the goodness of God that you've called us to yourself. In your perfect and holy name, amen.